What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. Uh, Before we dive into that portion of scripture, uh, we're taking a break today from our series that we've been doing throughout the summer, the Supernatural Summer series, to address something that I believe needs to be talked about in the, the current climate of our region, of our nation uh, honestly, it, this isn't one of the messages that, that I'm like, man, I can't wait to preach this, but it's stuff that we got to talk about. Uh, our values at Convo Church are to inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you and in our region. That's what we desire to do. Those are our values that kind of drive us. And I hope that happens today. I really do. I think it will. It has the potential. I believe it did in our first experience. Hopefully it carries over into this one as well. But sometimes you got to pause and, and address hot issues that are, that are facing us that, if not addressed, have the power and the ability to divide us instead of becoming something that we can actually rally around. And so, so we're going to go into that today, and, uh, and I want to give you a little bit of a, a heads up, because when we begin to talk about uh, any, anything, really, that could be a hot-button issue, if it is a hot-button issue, there's a great chance that you have uh, an opinion, a strong feeling, or even maybe some triggers about something uh, that we might talk about today. So I want to kind of get ahead of that so that we can prepare our hearts to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to go into any place of taking offense. Uh, you don't give offenses, offenses are taken, right? So, so we want to make sure that as we go into this today, that my, my, uh, my desire is that is, this is not me pouring out my opinions, but that we can actually get into God's word and he'll be able to shine light on the reality of where we are and God's path forward today. Does that sound good? So, so to do that, let's pray. Let's take a moment and open in prayer because we need to, God's already here, but I wanna reiterate the invitation of the Holy Spirit to this moment as we dive into his word. So Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your presence that you are here, that through our gathering, through our worship, the baptism, uh, and even now going into your word, Holy Spirit, that you are, you are welcome in this place. And so we ask that as we go into maybe some hard things today, God, that you would help our hearts, help our minds. God, we want to come before you with humility today and with an open mind to receive, to grow, and to come closer together as a community. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen. Y'all can talk to me today, and but I will I will give you permission. This this you know sometimes we're like, yeah amen yeah hey, yeah 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 you know m- maybe there might be some moments today that you want to but you might want to hold it back. That's all I'm saying, and, uh, and that, that's okay. We're gonna have some we're gonna have some fun with this hopefully. But let me let me start off with the with the first bomb just to get the party started. Is that okay? <clears throat> uh, I want to I want to start off by saying with with complete clarity because it's important to know uh, who we are as a church. Uh, Convo Church is not an anti-vax church. We are not an anti-mask church. We won't be lumped into any of the groups that outside uh, uh, influences are trying to create to divide people. Uh, That's not us. That's not who we are. Who we are is a Jesus-following, Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled church that is on the journey of loving people the way that Jesus does. And I say journey because I haven't, I don't know about you, I haven't figured it all out yet. I know where to get it from, but I haven't actually in my practice perfected that process yet. So that means it's a journey. And hopefully it's a journey that you're on as well. Uh, we believe, and this is important, we do believe that no authority uh, has the power to impose anything on the church that we believe would keep us from being who God's called us to be as a church or doing what God's called us to do as a church. And I think that's important. That's not a rebellious statement either. That's not a stick it to the man statement because that's not who we are and that's not our heart. But it is a position of who we are as a church and realizing the authority we have and the authority that we submit under when it comes to the kingdom of God. Uh, so let's go ahead to this particular uh, passage that we're reading. It's going to give the context of what we go into. Acts 22. I'm going to start reading in verse 22. And, uh, and again, just before we read into this, I'm, I want to know that I want to say that there will be things that we talk about today that, that, that people in here will disagree with other people in here about. 
And I want you to know that's okay because even when it comes to many of the issues that we are facing today, I know unequivocally that there are people in our church that disagree with each other. There's people on our leadership team that would disagree on some of these topics. And to that, I wanna give you some, some peace. It's okay. It's okay to not be in 100% agreement on absolutely everything in life. That's actually not a church. That's a cult. Cults have leaders who tell you 100% across the board, this is what you will believe, this is what you will say, this is what you will do. You don't have a choice, blah, blah, blah. There are definitely things that we have to be in 100% agreement on, right? And that, those are things that the Bible is clear about. But there are other things that you and I and others will, will have different convictions and opinions on, and I want you to know it's okay. It's okay, because we don't want a church of everybody that looks the same, acts the same, talks the same, does all the same things, shops at all the same places for the same clothes. That's, that's just weird, and I don't want that. Our church is going to be a diverse church in every way. That's our heart, that's our passion, and that's what we're gonna continue to work towards. We haven't, we haven't perfected that yet, but we're gonna continue to work towards that and so that our church doesn't just represent our region, it actually represents what heaven looks like. That's what we're going for. So let me read this scripture to you now that I've talked enough on that. Uh, I'm actually going to start in verse 21. Paul, uh, this is the, uh, uh, an, an account of what's happening with the Apostle Paul. This is shortly after he converted from persecuting the church and Christians to actually becoming one of the biggest mouthpieces of the church and of Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he is now in front of, uh, in front of the very people that he used to tag team with to persecute, arrest, and even kill Christians. Now he's coming to them and he's giving them a different message of who he is and what his purpose is. And so in verse 21, it says, but the Lord said to me, this is Paul speaking, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Gentiles, if you, if you want to know what that means, Gentiles are simply non-Jewish people in that particular time. <clears throat> the crowd listened until Paul said that word, the word Gentiles. And then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow, he isn't fit to live. Good gracious, that escalated really quick. They yelled, they threw off their coats, they tossed handfuls of dust into the air. <clears throat> and then the commander brought Paul inside. This is a Roman centurion. There was their, their job in that environment was when things got rough, they were to step in, separate, arrest, do whatever they could to make sure they kept the peace. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him, lashed with whips to make him confess his crime because they were assuming that he had done something to rile everybody up that was a crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. And when they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? And when the officer heard this, he went to his commander and asked, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty because you could even purchase that right to try to secure your status in that culture. But Paul answered, but I am a citizen by birth. So the soldiers who were about to interrogate, I like how they changed the word there. First they were going to beat him. No, no, we're just going to interrogate. It's all right. Who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen and the commander was frightened because he ordered him bound and whipped. He was frightened because he knew that he had stepped outside of his lane of authority. And he was about to do something that he did not have the authority to do. <clears throat> Paul telling, uh, you know, Paul was basically telling these Jews before they got mad at him, hey, listen, I'm more Jewish than you guys are. I'm more qualified, more educated, my birthright, all these things. Uh, and, God, and by the way, God's called me to, to the Gentiles. And that's what set them off. That's what made them upset because in their, in, in, at that particular time, in the nationalistic zeal that the Jews had for what they believed the kingdom of God was about, they had no room in their theology for outsiders. They had become so passionate about, in this word, I'm saying this word on purpose, their nationalistic zeal that they had forgotten about what the kingdom of God was supposed to be about. And, and, and I believe that, that it's possible, even today, it's possible for Jesus' followers to allow our nationalistic zeal to take priority over our zeal for the kingdom of God. And I believe, especially over the last couple of years, there, there's been plenty of examples for that where we've seen uh, and kind of have the observation of, man, I, I don't know if that's, I don't, you know, we see Christian flags flying around and crosses being carried in all these different environments that we're like, I don't know if that actually ties into what we are about as in the kingdom of God. 
And some people may argue about that. And again, that's one of those things where it's okay. But we have to understand who we are and what our identity is and where the authority flows from. Does that make sense? Let me give you this scripture. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, you can write it down. I'm going to go through some of these uh, scriptures today. You don't have to turn there, but you can write them down if you're taking notes. Paul says, above all. So there, there you go, kind of above all. So what does that mean? All means all. So above everything, all, all things, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. This is not a gray area, right? This is pretty clear. Paul is being clear in Scripture for Jesus' followers where our priority exists in our citizenship. That we are before anything else that we would ident- identify with within our person self, we have to identify that in Christ our citizenship gets a promotion to heaven. And not just heaven, but it's a kingdom. It's the kingdom of God that doesn't simply exist in eternity. The kingdom of God exists now. The kingdom of God exists now and is expanding and has been ever since Jesus rose from the dead and took his place of victory on the seat at the right hand of the Father. And so ever since then, the kingdom of God has been expanding through the church from the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so that means that you and I, if you are a Jesus follower, if you have given your life to Jesus, that you are, you're, 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 the priority of your identity has been altered. And that before you are fill in the blank, before you are an ethnicity, before you are a nationality, before you are a citizen of anything else, before you are a graduate of whatever college you're passionate about, before you are a name the football team that you are passionate about, you know, that's get going again, praise God. Uh, before any of those things, the box you have to check about who you are, your identity, your purpose, how you live and how you walk on this planet is that you are a citizen of heaven and that you have to conduct yourself in a worthy manner of the good news about Christ. Amen? Yes, I'll get some amens out of you today. We'll, we'll see as it continues. <clears throat> so so um, they wanted to kill Paul because he was trying to make room for more people in the kingdom of God that one group disagreed with. And there's something that we have to think of. So, But here's the deal. When Paul was, got pulled in by the Roman centurions, and when Paul's getting strung up, they're about to beat the mess out of him, and he's going to confess all of his crimes for why he got everybody riled up, Paul doesn't say, guys, guys, stop, stop. Don't do this because I have a scripture I'm about to quote to you that you are violating in God's word. Thou shalt not beat me. You know, that's the first one. No, that's not. No, he didn't come to him with scripture. He came to them with their own civic law. He says, is it lawful, not is it scriptural, is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? Why is that even in the Bible? This isn't a heaven or hell issue. This isn't about grace or forgiveness. This isn't about end times, tribulation, theology. This isn't any of that. Why is this even in the Bible? It's in the Bible for a reason, because Paul is speaking to something that we need to understand today as it relates not just to the church world in Scripture, but how Christians are supposed to relate to the authority that is around us in the world. And there is, there is a way. So here's, here's kind of the tension of the question, because that might, that might seem a little easy. It's like, well, that's kind of clear cut. You know, there's a law, don't beat Roman citizens if they haven't been tried and haven't been found guilty. That's an easy one. They can fix that. But, but, but how does the Christian understand submission to authority in a time when it seems muddy and confusing? There's a lot right now that we, we could identify dozens of things right now where there are issues that are dividing people greatly. Not just like the normal stuff, right? I'm talking about like people want to go at it. People want to cut their heads off each other. We're going to yell. We're going to divide lines. You go over there. I'm over here. Don't talk to me if you disagree. Like that type of stuff. How do we understand submission to authority in a time when it seems like these things are so muddy? Here, here's some, I want you to know this is very important before I even proceed. It is so important for my wife and I, for our church, and even for the public, but more so for our church to understand that, that we use this whether you call it the stage, the pulpit, the platform, the microphone, in a way that honors God, in a way that honors his word. Like that's our priority. This is not a place for me to get up and just spew my own personal opinions. Um, as, as a leader and a pastor, will there be opinions that come out of me? Absolutely. But my prayer, by the grace of God, is that they will be opinions that are founded and grounded in scripture. 
That, that's my prayer. Am I, am I going to crush that all the time? I, I hope so, but probably not. Let's just be real. Probably not. Because there are things in Scripture that are black and white, and there are things in Scriptures that become principles. And once something becomes a principle, there's wiggle room to kind of, well, I think it means this, or I think it means that. So, so we do our best, but um, we're not just called to be nice. Can I say that? We're also not called to be mean and jerks. Let's balance that. There, the 11th commandment is not thou shalt be nice. Uh, there, I do believe in the Christian world there is this misconception that we're just supposed to don't make a ripple, just love Jesus and let people walk all over you and hopefully when it's all said and done, we can party in heaven. No, I mean, that's, that's not, are we supposed to be kind? Yeah, that's in the Bible. Are we supposed to be loving and patient and, and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Yep, that's in the Bible. Uh, are we supposed to live quiet and peaceable lives? Yeah, that's, that's in the Bible too. It's understanding what that means. Are we supposed to submit to the authorities of the world around us? Yes, but there's also context for that as well. But here's the tension. The tension is what happens when the things that we are being called to submit to begin to call what is evil good and then what is good evil. It, get, it gets challenging, right? It, it gets a little challenging. And how does the Christian navigate a culture that is increasingly hostile towards the word of God and the people of God, while at the same time living quiet and peaceable lives. And these are very, very important things that we gotta think about. And, uh, and today, we're getting there. So like I said, I don't know if the amens are gonna start drying out as we kinda get into it a little bit, but it's important, honestly, for, for my wife and myself, like it's important for us to make sure that we don't just come in and say, well, I know everything is burning to the ground around us. Actually, in some places, physically, we need to pray for more rain, uh, but metaphorically. And, uh, but you know what? I'm going to give you 10 steps on how you can be a happier person. What the heck? You want to be a happier person? Let's learn how Jesus would help us to live in the culture around us. How we can be salt and light in a world that seems like the darkness is increasing. It's actually not. If you believe that the darkness is getting worse, you don't understand what the kingdom of God is about because the kingdom of God cannot expand while darkness is expanding. Scripture tells us that, that when the light comes into the darkness, the darkness cannot extinguish it. And so if you are the carrier of the light, everywhere you go, darkness dissipates. So for you to believe the lie that we're just losing the battle, God, just get us out of here, please return. There's more people talking to me about the, 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 the coming of the Antichrist and the returning of Christ, and they're talking about how can I be a light in the darkness around me. Get your eyes off of the game being over and get your eyes on Jesus and being a light in the world around us, please. <clears throat> so let's talk about a few things. The first thing I wanna talk about is authority. And I, this is on me, I apologize. I do not have slides up on the screen. If you wanna, you're gonna have to take notes and listen to the video and the podcast later, that's fine. But just follow along with me. We're gonna talk about authority first. Because a lot of what I hear from people when it comes to government authority and how the church should respond, or literally any authority, is we begin to quote scriptures, actual scriptures, like Romans 13, like 1 Peter chapter 2, that say some pretty strong things about how we're supposed to relate to authority. All authority is from God, and we should submit to all governing authorities, other authorities. It's not just government, it's all authorities. And so some people will take that, and without diving into what that actually means, and diving in and breaking apart where authority comes from, how authority is given from one level to the next, we just kind of walk around with this misunderstanding that because of those individual scriptures, all authority has a blank check to do what they want to do, and we don't have a choice because as Christians, we're told to just submit and go along with it. And I don't think that's what that means, and we're going to dive into that. We have to understand where authority comes from. Uh, Matthew 28, 18, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus tells us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So what does that mean? Jesus has all authority. Notice what it doesn't say. All Christian authority has been given to me. So that means that every authority, it doesn't matter whether that authority recognizes where it came from. It doesn't matter if that authority operates as a Christian or a Jesus follower. The reality still is true that where they get their authority from is from Jesus because he is the one who has all authority. So that's the origination of it. <clears throat> so that's people, that's families, churches, governments, land, uh, all of the earth. We went to the moon. That's his too. Trying to go to Mars. That'll be his too. It already is. The moon, the stars, everything. In heaven and on earth, it all belongs to Jesus. 
And he's not talking about heaven like just the domain of, of you know, eternity, afterlife, and whatever. He's talking about the heavens, the expanse of all creation, what we know and the things that we don't know. All of it belongs to Jesus, and he has authority over absolutely all of it. So, so what this does mean is that we don't, as Christians, a Christian doesn't have to wrestle over whether we're supposed to uh, submit to other authorities that are operating out of alignment from the authority of God. Like when there's authority that's telling us to do something that God's authority says that we shouldn't do, we shouldn't have to wrestle over that because we know that our primary authority starts with Jesus and everything comes after that. All human authority, this is a, this is a big deal. Um, it's been widely taught in many places and there, it's a different message for a different time. But there's primarily three lanes of God-ordained authority. There's the church, there's the family, and there's government. And within that, there's a whole study that you can do on different, different aspects of authority. But, but all human authority has levels and limits within these lanes. Like if, for example, if you're at work and there's somebody who works under you and they begin to operate with a level of authority that they don't have, you have the authority maybe as a boss or a supervisor or whatever it may be to either go to them and say, well, this didn't work out, you're terminated because you were doing things that you shouldn't be doing, or you talk to them about, that's not your scope of authority, you can't do that, this is your lane, and you need to stay in your lane. We, we understand that in a practical context, maybe professionally or, or in different senses, but we have to understand the Christian world for so much has bought into a misconception of submission that, that authority has that blank check. And because it has that blank check, we just quietly go along with whatever we've been told. And in uh, history books are filled <laughs> with, uh, with reasons why that's not good. And we don't even have to break that down. We all know that, right? Whether it's in the church world, whether it's in the, the government world and empires, whether it's in the professional world, I mean, all these different things, we understand that concept. But we're tempted as Christians to think, again, that just all authority has this this blanket covering, and it's because we don't understand the proper understanding of Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2. Or maybe we do, but we pick and choose where we exercise this conviction based on whether it lines up with our preferences or not. Amen. Okay, I didn't think so. I don't think I get one on that one. Paul's interaction in Acts 22, it demonstrates this point. It demonstrates the point that not all authority just has blanket authority. Because Paul, who was a prisoner was able to speak to somebody who literally was about to knock the mess out of him and they thought legally to say, stop, you can't do that. If, 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 if the Christian thing to do is just to submit and not say anything, what Paul should have done is just stand there and take it because it's authority and whether he likes it or not or agrees or not, their authority and I just have to submit because I'm a Christian. But he didn't do that, he spoke up. And he didn't speak up to give them scripture, he spoke up to remind them of their own laws. And it's in the Bible. Does that make sense? So, so when, when Paul is stepped, this wasn't the only time Paul did this. There was another time in Philippi where the, a similar situation happened. And, and even the magistrates knew that they screwed up. And they were trying to, like, get him away quietly and just kind of sweep it under the rug. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to get out that easy. Come here. I want to talk to you. You're going to understand. And everyone's going to know that you guys screwed this up. And then you tried to do something to me that you cannot lawfully do. Like, wow, Paul trying to stir up the hornet's nest a little bit. But he was making a point, and this was his point. He was defending the church and the future of the church by reminding leaders and authorities and magistrates that they had overstepped their bounds and had departed from their lane of authority. And when somebody, doesn't matter who it is, when somebody departs from their lane of authority, their authority becomes illegitimate. And when their authority becomes illegitimate, it loses the ability to cling on to the authority that is given from God. Something that we, actually, we absolutely have to think about. So here's the next word. So that's authority. Let's talk about submission. Uh, that's a, even in the church world, that can be a sketchy, that can be a sketchy term. You're like, oh, because, I mean, we, I've heard too many stories, and I've witnessed stuff too, where leaders try to exercise this term. They're like, well, don't disagree with me. I am a pastor, and therefore you shall submit. And I'll even use the word shall because it's more King James and sounds powerful. You shall submit to me because I'm your leader. Well, there, there are aspects of submission in that context that are true, but there's also a lot of abuse that can come along with it. So let's talk about what it is. Submission is the willful compliance to legitimate laws of persons in authority. Submission is not just going with the flow because you don't want to rock the boat. And honestly, right now, there's a lot of that happening. People are just, they're staying quiet, they're staying silent about different things 
not because they agree or disagree. People just don't like conflict, and I don't want to rock the boat. If we just kind of shut up and go along with this, everything's probably going to work out in the end anyway. So let's, let's just not do anything. Ever had a friend who, um, who needed someone to lovingly talk to them, maybe about something that was not okay in their life, but we, we justified not calling them on their sin as a way of being kind because we didn't want to offend them? That's not good. That's not submission, and that's not kindness either. That's avoiding something that could actually help either a person or even help a bigger picture. Kindness is, is, is not the chief end, although we should be kind people. Uh, some of the meanest people I've ever met, ever met are Christians. And that's crazy because I, I want to ask them, have you, have you met the person that you've invited into your heart? <laughs> Do you know this Jesus that you claim to follow? Um, doesn't mean that we don't ruffle feathers from time to time, but it, it sure as heck means that if there is something that is a loving, gracious God and spirit of God inside of us, people should be able to find that at some point in an interaction with you. And so sometimes maybe you're super kind on the inside. We just got to get it out to like this area right here. We got to work on this, this area. And then maybe what comes out of that area to make sure that people are, are getting the kindness of God. But here, here's the thing. Kindness is not obedience to an authority which is operating outside of its lane. Submission is also more than an action. It's also a posture. Notice what Paul didn't do. Paul didn't start yelling and shouting and pulling out his phone and going live on Facebook to make sure everybody could see the injustice that was about to be done to him. No, he simply, kindly asked the question right before they beat him. And he's like, is it lawful for you to do what you're about to do? Simple question. He didn't yell. He didn't shame them. He didn't yell at them. He didn't, he didn't accuse them. He didn't, he didn't threaten them. And, and so there, 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 was a, there was a posture in his submission. His heart was in the right place. And so it is, is it possible for us to stand up in certain elements that we need to stand up in and do it in a wrong way or do it in a way where our posture of submission in our heart is in the right place? Because even when we stand up against an authority or a law or a scenario that we believe an authority has stepped outside of its lane, you still have to rep represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like we said in Philippians chapter one, we still have to recognize that we are operating as a citizen of heaven, not as somebody who's angry and upset and has freedom and has rights and you can't tell me what to do and I'm gonna get in your face. Because that doesn't represent your citizenship. Maybe another one, but not the primary one. We've gotta work on that. So here, here's, here's the next thing. So we're talking about authority, we're talking about submission. We need to talk about legitimate laws. I know this is not a law class. But you need to understand there are, there, there's two primary areas where we can identify legitimate law. The first one is God's laws. Like, all authority comes from him. There are things that he has established. And I'm not talking about just like the Old Testament law, because some people, well, the law is in the Old Testament, and that was, you know, that was done away with with Jesus. So there's not really the law of God. No, it, first of all, the Old Testament has never been done away with. Uh, the law in the Old Testament has just been fulfilled. It has not been deleted. It has not been control, all, delete, gone. No, it has been fulfilled and it has been repurposed with these two statements. 316 laws got translated into two. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And actually right now there's a lot of people that don't even know what the heck this is who are trying to tell the church what love your neighbor means. And I'm not gonna, I'm just not gonna have people who don't know the word of God teach the church what the word of God says. Yeah, that's, that's maybe later in the message, okay. So here's the thing, there are legitimate laws and there's legitimate authority, but there are, are two areas where someone who has authority will begin to operate in illegitimate laws. Let me give you an example that's very practical and very recent. If let's just say by chance, a random gov uh, governor in a random state, in a random country, says that it is not lawful for churches to gather. Even if they go through the process and make it a law, I disagree with that. Um, it's, it's not a legitimate law, and here's why. There's two reasons why it's not legitimate. Number one, it violates God's law. It violates God's law. Not a Ten Commandment. There's not a Ten Commandment that says, thou shalt not tell the church that they can't gather. The entire New Testament is the law of God on what the church is. Now, here's the deal. There's been so many lies over the last year and a half to two years of people trying to repurpose, trying to, um, I, don't wanna, I don't even want to use that phrase, but trying to redefine what the church is, and it's actually stealing the identity of what God says the church is. 
You, are the, you don't have to gather to be the church. You are the church. No, the church, by definition, means the gathering, the gathering of God's people. You are the body of Christ wherever you go. So whether you're hiking in the mountains having devotion time or whether you're at church on a Sunday worshiping God together, you're a part of the body of Christ, but you are not the church when you're on your own. You are not the church because you watch something online. And we got people watching online right now. And it is a great tool and it is a great resource, but it does not replace the church. So we have to understand what things mean, what the word of God says, so that when lies and outside authorities step outside of their lane, we know how to come against it. Paul knew the laws of the land. Like I said, he didn't go to the Romans and like, hey guys, I got a Bible verse that really tells me why you're violating what you're, what, you know, what you're trying to do to me. No, he knew the Roman system. He knew the culture. He knew the laws. And so we have a responsibility in our nation to understand our system, to understand the role of government, to understand even how some people couldn't even go on the street and tell you that there are three branches of our government. And they, if they, maybe they could say there's three, but they couldn't tell you what they are. And how the fact that there's not one that's above the other, there are three equal branches that work together to balance out each other so that we don't have a monarchy or a dictatorship or something else. And so that we can have a, a constitutional republic. And so if we know that, then that will also tell us what lanes, because of the Constitution and because of the actual laws of the land, what lane the government can actually and should operate in. And when we know those things, we can also see more clearly when they step out of that lane into the church lane or into the family lane. And right now, there's a lot of the government stepping into the family lane, and I won't even put most of the blame on the government because the family has allowed an outside authority. They've give, the family has delegated authority that belongs to them to other people and then complained about the fruit that's being produced in their kids' lives. Not all, here, so it violates God's law, but it also that the whole like churches can't gather. That's just an example. I'm not, that's not what we're harping on. That's just an example. It also is inconsistent with the laws within our country. And when that began to happen, churches all over the country began to file lawsuits against their governors, not because they were trying to be mean, which honestly I can't speak for everybody because I saw some mean stuff, but not because they were trying to be mean, but because they were saying, is it lawful for you to do what you're trying to do? And courts in just about all the states where that happened specifically in New York, Colorado, California, said in the highest courts, no, it is not lawful. And actually there are some places where the only places where you actually have freedom to do certain things is when you go to a church because the courts have said the government doesn't have the authority to step into that lane. And so it's, it's important to understand that, not so we can be like, yeah, that's right, take it, you know, <laughs> take it. That's what, no, that's, that's where like, all right, pause, check your heart. That's, that's, not, that's not the attitude that we're supposed to be doing. That doesn't represent your primary citizenship. But we have to understand that not all claimed authority is legitimate authority. Let me give you a little bit of a lighter example um, to kind of like, you know, bring the, oh, we, this is fun. Um, if you were walking down the sidewalk, um, just kind of somewhere, and Paul Blart Mall Cop decided to roll up on you with his, with his Segway <laughs> and wanted to give you some citation for something, would you, because the Christian thing to do, because the Bible tells us in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 that all authority is by God and we must just submit to authority. We don't question it. We do whatever they tell us to do. Are you gonna stand there, receive a citation from Paul Blart and say, thank you, may I have another and then move on with your life? No, there's a good chance you're either gonna laugh, take a picture, put it on Instagram later with a joke, turn it into a meme, or you're actually gonna call a real cop and be like, uh, I got a weirdo over here on a, motorized scooter who's trying to tell me that I can't be doing something that I know I can be doing. No, you're not going to submit to that. You're going to continue to walk. You're going to continue to go on your way because Paul Blart stepped outside of whatever flashlight authority he had in your life. All right, so, all right, that's funny, but all right, let's get a little more real. What, what about if government officials come to your house, knock on the door, and they say, we're coming in to search your house? Um, <laughs> do you do the Christian thing because Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2 tells you that that's an authority. And because that's an authority, you have to submit without question to the authority. It's all been established by God. Do you just back out of the way and say, hey, uh, just because I'm a Christian, I have to let you do this, go do what you do. Or, or is it unchristian to say, because of I know the laws of the land, I know that you need to provide some documentation to prove that you have the authority to do what you say you need to do. 
Is it unchristian to do that? Is it rebellious? Is Paul being a hypocrite in what he did against what he wrote in Romans 13? Paul's the one who wrote it. Is he being a hypocrite? Absolutely not. He understands and he's trying to teach us that all authority has limits. Let me get a little bit more dicey in, in some of the maybe practical applications that we can apply right now. Um, is it okay for a social worker at school to talk about gender identity with your kid and give them counsel without your consent or permission? I'm not talking about what is legal within the school system. I'm talking about what is right. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not going to answer that. I'm just going to leave it with a question mark because we got to think about this. Uh, is it appropriate for a doctor to administer hormone blockers to a child who claims a different gender identity other than what they were born with without a parent's consent or knowledge or being present? It's ridiculous. Like, is it happening? Yes, it's happening. Should it be happening? No, it should not be happening. And, and regardless of even what somebody's stance is on whether something like that is an okay thing, the fact that family is abdicating and delegating their authority to somebody else when they should be present in the room, in the conversation, engaged, because that's their lane of authority, we've got to ask ourselves some significant questions. Is it okay? And this is, and I will tell you right off the bat, this is my opinion on this one right here. I just want to make that, not, I won't say we, because in the church, no, this is me. Is it okay for adults anywhere to talk about sex and sexuality to your children without you being present? Like, no. Well, you know, as long as it's in the school, it's okay because they're certified and whatever. Listen, again, I'm going to beat this drum. We continue to delegate authority to other people who do not have authority to raise your children and then be upset when we don't like what is produced in our children. We have to realize that we have a responsibility to take back when it comes to our kids. I know parents don't like to talk to their kids about tough stuff, but you're a parent, so get ready. Because God is the authority who has all authority and has given the family authority. And when you step into that role, you now step into an authority that God has ordained. And whether you think you're ready or not, God is ready. And if you rely on him, he will lead you and he will guide you. And even if things didn't go well, things have messed up, they didn't go like you think they were going to go, God is a powerful, loving, redeeming God who's going to give you the grace that you need for every season that you have. But we got to understand that there's an authority that we have to walk in in our family, within our church, and within the government. And that the more we delegate what has been given to us to somebody else who doesn't rightfully have that authority, the less we have the ability to complain about what happens in the outcome. Authority, when you've been given authority, you have a responsibility to steward that authority. Stewardship is not ownership. You don't own it. It's not yours. Stewardship, stewardship is, when you, is when you treat it like it's yours. Like when you, when, you rent a, when you rent an apartment, there are some things about that. You don't care if it gets tore up. But when you buy a house, you're going to vacuum. You're going to scrub things. You're going to make sure the wall isn't, you know, you're going to, that's, that's called ownership. But in the kingdom of God, it's stewardship because everything belongs to God. So you have to steward over authority. And if, and if we stop with Romans 13 in the first two verses where it talks about how all authority has been given from God, we've got to submit to the authorities. And if we stop there, then we will miss verses 3, 4, and 5, which are actually more of the job description to people of authority and how they get to operate in the authority that God gave them. So if, if, if somebody gives you authority to do something and they say, here's your job description, and you begin to operate outside of the job description that you have been given, you lose authority in the area where you've missed your lane. And that's what is happening in the world around us in those lanes. It's happening in the church, it's happening in the families, and it's also happening in our government where people are stepping outside of their lane. And when they step outside of their lane, they can no longer claim authority in that specific area because it's illegitimate authority. It's breaking God's laws and or it's breaking the laws of the land. So stewardship, we have to, we have to understand, again, that not all authority is a blank check, that all human authority has limits, has limitations, and scripture is filled with people who defied authorities because they had to do what they knew God had told them to do. So if we're going to take the Romans 13 and the first Peter chapter two and put that on the hill and like these are the most important. We also have to understand because all scripture is inspired by God and anointed by the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that the examples that go against that must mean something. Yeah. 
And we need to see, well, what do they mean? Does it mean you can just do whatever you want because some people are rebellious and some people are submissive and it's all good. It's all covered by the cross, y'all. It's all covered by the grace of God. It, it's, in the end, we go to heaven and that's really what matters. No, we have to understand why certain things are where they are. Exodus chapter one, we see a story of where, uh, where Hebrew midwives blatantly lied, ignored, and rebelled against Pharaoh to save the innocent lives of Hebrew babies that were being born. And from that rebellion came Moses. Joshua chapter two, Rahab the prostitute, and, and I say that just because every time her name's mentioned, they keep mentioning the fact that she was a prostitute and she's probably up in heaven saying, hey, can, can, you, can we let that go? That's, that was BC, no, anyway. That was before Christ, that's not, anyway. Rahab, Joshua chapter two, Rahab hides and lies to the authorities in her city because she was protecting the Hebrew spies that were scouting out Jericho. Uh, Daniel chapter three, one of my f favorite chapters in the Bible, I love this. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Hebrew boys, they'd had their name identity changed to try to get them to meld into the culture, but they knew who they were. <clears throat> they defied the authority of King Nebuchadnezzar. They refused to bow down and worship the golden statue. They were told to kneel, they chose to stand. Daniel chapter six, we see the prophet Daniel defies the order that nobody could pray to anybody except the king, and Daniel says, nah, I'm good because I have a higher law that tells me that, that I get to pray to my God. And he did. You know, what's interesting is sometimes I believe now in America, in, the, in, the, in our times now, there are the, there's a thought in the Christian world that says, I, I, I know I should say something. I know I am being forced to do something that actually defies God's law. Um, but man, I just don't want to rock the boat because, you know, eventually everything is going to work out. Or we, we have this thought that if God shows up and delivers us, then I'll join, I'll join my voice, <laughs> which happens a lot. But here's the thing. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't stand in defiance and say, we're not going to worship that. We're only going to worship God. And King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't like, you know what, guys, that's a great argument. And you're right. So, um, guys, take the statue down. This is, no, he was ticked off, and he threw him in the fire, the real fire, not the metaphorical fire. It was a real fire because he was ticked off, he was mad because they had defied what authority he thought he had. And God had to deliver him from the fire. Listen, there are gonna be times coming where God's gonna have to deliver the church from the fire. We cannot just sit back and try to avoid the fire. There are going to be fires that we get thrown into that we're gonna have to say, listen, we're gonna, are, are we gonna follow what God is telling us to do or not? And if we are, then that means that we're also gonna trust him with the process. I kind of made the, the joke in the first service. It's not really a joke. It's, it's potentially serious in the future. There, there could be an explosion of prison ministry taking place in the years to come because they're shutting our doors here and they're throwing us in prison for following what Scripture tells us to do. There actually will come a time where what we preach in Scripture will be classified criminally and legally in laws as hate speech. And so when we open up the Bible and begin to say what the Word of God says, that criminally, by the authority the government has, they can throw us in prison for it. The time will come. So we have to ask ourselves, do we rip those pages out of the Bible? Do we, do we dumb things down and, and kind of continue the trend that some have and turn church into a self-help organization? Or do we continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, not judging people, because that's not the point, that's not our job. Our job is to love people and point them to Jesus, get them filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convict and to transform people's lives. So are we gonna continue to do that or are we gonna just water things down? Because I, I don't wanna get beat with the rod. No, we're, we have to, easier said than done, I get that. Y'all can all check me in the future when this begins to happen. But I can tell you, if we don't, then we lose our soul. We lose our purpose and we abdicate all authority. Revival will happen in our nation when people stand up for what the word of God says, not in a stick it to the man rebellious heart, but in a, th in a way that says, listen, because uh, this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They said, listen, um, King, if... God, God's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, I still am not going to bow to that statue. There's nothing that you can do to me that is going to make me give up my identity as a citizen of heaven, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And if you do, see, that, that's when you see things begin to break out in the kingdom of God. Because God, the deliverer, shows up to be God, the deliverer. Sometimes we, we, we keep God from showing up in power because we remove ourselves from the environments that need the power of God to show up. Uh, okay. 
You know, it's interesting. You read Hebrews 11, and a lot of these names that we mentioned and, and more that we didn't are people who defied authorities because they understood where their identity and authority was from. And they're called heroes. They're not called rebellious jerks. They're not called uh, extremists, leftists, rightists, any of those things. They're called heroes of the faith. And there's examples all over the place. So, so some of those, you're like, all right, worshiping things, bowing down to idols, like that's, that's pretty. But what about the stuff in our culture that seems kind of muddy? You know, where, where is the line? Like it'd be so easy if God just giant finger from heaven, drew a line in the dirt and said, all right, if you're on this side of the line, you're good. If you're on that side of the line, you're not. We're like, oh, that's easy. Let's do that. But he doesn't do that. And there's a reason why he doesn't do that. There is a path forward for us. And I'm going to propose, this is where we'll wrap up today. I'm going to propose that there are three ways that we can make decisions and stances that can allow us to move forward together in unity, even when we don't agree. Because like I said, the goal of the church is not to create an environment where everybody agrees on everything. That's ridiculous. That's a cult. That's not a church. And so how can we be the crazy thing that God created us to be, which is a church of God's people who are different colors, different ethnicities, different economic status, different education, different side of the railroad tracks, and yes, even different ideas on whether they should have a vaccine or not or whether they should wear a mask or not. In God's craziness, can we still be unified together as the church? The answer to that is yes. Unequivocally, yes. We don't even have to like arrange the chairs. All right, the black chairs are for the people that are on this passion. The gray chairs are for the people like this. And uh, we'll put a rope down the middle. Y'all play nice, but we got to be the church. No, we can actually do life together and disagree on certain things. We can still be friends and disagree on certain things. There are absolutely certain things that we should not disagree on. But even within Scripture, there are gray areas where you can have a passion that I don't even think is really that big of a deal. But I'm not going to be like, well, because, you know, we don't agree on that. I guess you just have to part ways. There are millions of people in America that are not in churches that they were in a year and a half ago that they should be in because they made decisions to walk away from relationship, not based on this, but based on convictions and preferences. And that's not how the body of Christ is supposed to work. I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's the first area where we can, uh, where we can, that can help us make decisions a certain way. Um, is it a moral decision? Because if it's a moral decision, then there should not be wiggle room in that. A moral decision is something that is clear, like there's chapter and verse in the Bible that make it crystal clear that something is right or something is wrong. If something is sin, is something that we shouldn't be, something that, something that, that, uh, that separates us from God. Murder, lying, cheating, stealing, uh, adultery, fornication, and it doesn't matter whether you're okay with that, Scripture tells us that we are in sin, we can't do that. So that's a moral thing. That's not something that we get to debate. That's not something where we get to tell God, God, I know you said this, but this is what I say. And this is my truth. So I'm really, I want to express my truth to you, God, because I feel like my truth will give you a better understanding of who, who I am and who I identify as. There is moral truth. Moral truth is a thing that really does bind the church together because it's founded in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just come to die for the Jewish people, even though he, as a person, was of Jewish descent through his mother. He came for the whole world. Aren't you glad? Aren't you grateful? Because I'd be on the outside. And I don't know about you. I don't have the Jewish blood in me. I have the faith in me. And it's actually the faith that actually brings us together. Anyway, okay, so there, there's, there's moral decisions, and that even goes back to understanding Matthew 28, because all authority came is, is in Jesus, is through him, and it's from him as well. So when someone tells me, all right, the church can't gather. You know, it, it, you can gather, but only 25 of you or whatever. And they begin to put these different stipulations that actually do limit us and keep people from gathering. What was so sad to watch, and actually we still see the impact of it now, is that over 90% of the churches in our country did not and do not have the resources, the team, the finances, and the ability to sustain a community when we are not allowed to gather in person. That, so what does that mean? That means that in the last year and a half, we have seen more churches permanently close their doors 
You're like, well, they had a choice. They should have pivoted. So, well, that's because we're taking convictions and putting it on somebody else and not having a grace to understand the reality of their situation. So, so, so now we're getting into a, a conscious choice. So we have moral decisions that we have to make. There are conscious decisions that we need to make. And these is where, this is where we'll begin to disagree on certain things. And we have to know that that is okay. A, 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 a conscience decision, you have, you have a strong conviction to follow Jesus a certain way because of what you've interpreted from Scripture, or maybe even because it's something that God has spoken to you that doesn't contradict Scripture, but it's something that's unique to you. And there are some things where we can disagree on this and be okay and still continue to do life together, be in the same church together. Here's an example. Let's say there's a small business owner who decides to stay open and not enforce different mandates because their first job and their foremost job is actually to provide for their family. It's not just about business. It's not just about all the outside talking points that are being thrown in. They're thinking about their family. And they look back over that last time and they realize, man, I almost did lose my business and I almost did lose my ability to provide for my family. And I saw thousands of businesses that actually did have to shut down and have not reopened. And we've seen millions and millions of people who have lost their jobs that are now living off of the government support and are not re-entering back into the job world. So now on top of that, we see industries that are slowly dying, that before were thriving, not because there's not enough people to actually work there, but because people won't go back to work there. And we begin to see the domino impact. And so it'd be very easy to say, listen, the authorities said this, and they're trying to keep us safe, so we should just be quiet and do what they say. You need to pivot so that you can continue to thrive in this culture, but that's not having grace for the reality of what somebody can or cannot do to sustain what's been put upon them. So it's a conscious, that's a conscious decision. And that should be somewhere if somebody's like, hey, I've got reasons why I'm doing X, Y, and Z. If it disagrees with what you think should happen, we need to have grace for each other. Because they're in a reality that you're not in, and you're in a reality that they're not in. And so what we should be able to say is, hey, listen, your convictions are different from mine, and I have mine for a reason, and you have yours for a reason. But you know what? It's okay. I still love you, and we can still walk together. It's going to be okay. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I think what we see a lot of is we see Christians saying, how, how dare you rebel against the authorities like that? And there's just no grace to understand where people are coming from. And we have to have that. I hope my heart's coming through on this. I hope this is not a, this is not a screw the government, stick it to the man, you can't tell us what to do. Nope, not at all. Because when you begin to do that, you're violating your citizenship as, as a citizen of heaven. Because your heart's in the wrong place. What this is about is making sure that we understand Christians do not just have to shut up and sit down. Christians do not just have to get out of the way and do whatever they are told because the Bible says you have to submit to every authority. No, we need to know where authority comes from. We need to know what happens when an authority loses their authority because they've stepped out of the lane where they have been given that authority. And we have to understand that it is not our job just to say, well, you can't do that because I've got a Bible verse that really speaks to me and says that, that you're hurting my feelings. No, that's not. No, we can speak to the laws of the land if we know the culture of our land and do so in a way that still represents Christ. And we can still disagree about certain things and still be in church together and still be in community together. Because here's the thing, if you leave one church because a preference wasn't met or a conviction wasn't reciprocated, when you find another one, you're gonna find preferences and convictions that don't line up. And all that's gonna do if you don't deal with why people continue to move around and they don't get planted and they don't allow themselves to be vulnerable, because I know it's not easy. It wasn't easy to start this church. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> There, there, there are literally hundreds of people that aren't here that were here a year and a half ago. And it sucks and it hurts, but I trust God. And God loves all the people more than any of us ever could. And he's still working his plan in people's life. And so that's what I have confidence in. But the reality is I'm like, man, I wonder what could happen if we had this culture in our churches that said we don't have to have it all figured out and have to agree on everything. I wonder what the church, not combo, the church, I wonder what we would look like, how we could lead the world, how we could actually demonstrate what is possible for, as citizens of the kingdom of God. We, I can guarantee you we would not be seeing some of the things that we're seeing in our nation now. I can guarantee it. Is it too late? Well, no, but it's gonna be hard. 
So do we just, again, sit down and shut up because it's going to be hard and we don't want to make a scene and rock the boat? No. We do what we can, and we pray, and we pray. And after we pray, we get on our knees, and we pray. And after we do that, we get together, and we pray. That's why I'm like, hey, if, we, if, you, if you can, if you're not working, traveling, whatever, join us on Tuesday. You don't have to be some magical intercessor that knows how to do everything. Just show up and pray. Just show up with us and talk to Jesus with us. Invite God into what he's trying to do in this region. There's moral decisions, there's cultural de- uh, conscious decisions, and then lastly, there's preferences. And, and I'll tell you this, I, I believe, I'm, I'm gonna make up a stat, is that okay? Can I make up a stat? Two-thirds of all stats are made up on the spot anyway. The va- I'll say 90% just because it sounds good. I'll just say the vast majority of the divisions that we see in the church world actually have to do with preferences. It's not moral decisions, although there are some. It's just few and far between. There are, it's, it's a lot of conscious and, and, and conviction decisions that happens too. But, but a vast majority of what I witness taking place is preferences. And when a preference is, and that, and that happens because we've allowed, we've allowed the consumer culture of our environment to filter into the church. And, and there's, there's so many amazing and easy ways that we can tackle that. And remo- it needs to be removed from the church. The church was never supposed to be a place where we pick and choose our preferences and find the perfect spot to, uh, because they serve the, the, the coffee that I like, they have the chairs that I like, or they have the style of music that I like. And, 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 and those things are great. And those things have their place. But at the end of the day, when scripture tells us that it's, it's actually God who places people in the house as he sees fit, that we are the body of Christ. And so we're not telling God, you know, hey, I'm a hand and I would, you know, I didn't like being at the end of that arm. Um, I would really like to be at the bottom of a leg because that's where I prefer to be. No, we're the body of Christ. God places us where he sees fit. And it, it's, it's worth wrestling with. It's worth struggling with. Like it's so worth it. If you are struggling with that, maybe you're here, you're just checking it out because where you were before, like for whatever reason, something wasn't happening, wrestle with it. It's important. It matters. But don't tap out on the church. You're not gonna find a perfect one. You certainly won't find it here. I mean, I'll give you a couple of months max before something happens. You're like, I don't know about that. I don't know about that decision. I don't know what their leaders are thinking. That's okay. But this is a place where, man, by the grace of God, we're just gonna go after Jesus. And and, and we're not doing so as a country club. We're doing so because we believe what happens in this environment should spill out into into our region. Northern Nevada needs Jesus like crazy. And so does the entire world. I get it, I get it, but we're here. We're here. And, and God wants to do something where we are. And then from there, he wants to use what happens to spill out to the ends of the earth, to the nations of our world. It starts here. So we, we, we can't allow preferences. Preferences tend to be things just like or don't like. And even when it comes to like the, our, our government, there are things that you can like and that you don't like and still be a Christian. <laughs> it's okay. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't like certain, I don't like taxes like that. Anybody here loves taxes, love it. But we also don't love the traffic on pyramid. So how's the traffic on pyramid gonna change? Your money, that's how it's gonna change. You know, it's just that, the thing, there are things that we have preferences on and that's okay. And we'll disagree on how, you know, infrastructure bills and national security and foreign policy. Like these are all things that we can have preferences about and even strong convictions. But this is one thing I will say, let me drop one more bomb and, uh, and then, we'll, then we'll clean it up and pray because we need Jesus. Um, I don't believe that vaccines and masks are a moral issue. And this is why I say that. I think they are, I think it is a, for those who have a conviction and take those steps, I believe that it is a beautiful, that it is a beautiful step that people take with their heart and their intent. If it's a preference, then well, then it's just a preference. But if it's a moral thing, this is what I'm gonna say. If it's a moral thing, then give me the chapter and verse that tells me black and white that it is a moral issue. We can't do that. What we can do is we can find different scriptures where we can pull and glean principles that we interpret and execute a certain way that are not wrong decisions. And they're not necessarily the only right decision, but it's a conviction, it's not a moral decision. So when we begin to, see what happens is that when, when, when decisions and topics creep into a moral category that aren't supposed to be there, 
that's when divisions begin to show up within the church and within our cities and within our nation and the government begins to impose itself in places where they should not be because I don't believe that the government, this is, again, me, this is my opinion, I wanna make that clear. I don't believe that the government's authority locally or nationally should be to impose things that make demands on the church and the family. There's a lot of it that happens and there's a lot of laws in place now that do make those things happen. And that's because again, we have delegated authority to people that we shouldn't be delegated authority to. It's not what their roles were meant to do. It's not what the constitution meant for government to do, but it is what's happening now. So that in our church, um, when we talk about diversity, um, this, is, this is what's huge to us. Um, we're not gonna embrace divisions, but we're gonna embrace diversity. Okay? because that topic is now a part of the diversity um, arena. Because there are people who have strong convictions. And I, and I can guarantee you probably whether listening, if you still are, uh, or even in this room, there are some of you who may debate with me, I think it's a moral decision. And I'll still say, okay, that's, that's okay. I'm fine with that, but show me in scripture where that's a moral decision. But if we still come to the point where you're like, nope, that's how I feel, then I get to say, all right, that's okay. I'm okay with you thinking that it's a moral decision. As long as you have the grace to embrace it, I don't think it is. And to know that within that context, we can actually still walk together. And it's absolutely gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. And so it, it's so important. I think there are, there are hills that people have chosen to die on in this last year and a half that are not hills that we need to die on. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry, she's awesome. She said this recently, uh, and this is a quote from her. She goes, the only, if I die on a hill, it better be called Calvary. And that's a reference to where Jesus went to the cross. And I love that so much because at the end of the day, like if what we're about is the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is about is gathering as many of God's children together to recognize who God is and accept the salvation and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ so that we can experience what heaven is like on earth and in the, in the life to come. Like if that's what the kingdom of God is about, if Jesus was gonna die on a hill, cause he was confronted with other things that people were passionate about and had convictions about, and even some of them thought were moral, but Jesus is like, no, the only hill I'm gonna die on is the, is the hill of Calvary. Cause I'm gonna lay my life down which for us, a lot of us means we gotta lay down our opinions. We have to lay down our passions. We don't have to get rid of them. Have your convictions, have, do what your conscience tells you to do. Have your preferences. And when you have your moral convictions, make sure that it's something that is clear from scripture. That's when it makes it okay. So as a church, and I think, thank you all for hanging in there. As a church, um, we're never gonna be a church in anything that lines up to the left, that lines up to the right. Because the kingdom of God doesn't operate that way. When Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't on the left side, he wasn't on the right side. He was actually hung in the middle between two criminals. One of them that was humble and knew he needed Jesus, and one that was just the opposite, was a belligerent against Jesus. And Jesus was hanging on that cross, ironically, so that he would have the ability to reach people who would be on both sides. People who are belligerent against the church, people who hate the church, people who don't believe that there is God, people that think that this is just a book of judgmental, hypocritical rules, people who think that Christians are the worst people that exist, people who are violently opposed to the kingdom of God. That's who we're here for. And if we allow different convictions and preferences to get ahead of us and we begin to isolate ourselves, the church is never, never meant to be a place where we circle the wagons. All right, all right, everybody. Time to get the Christians together because uh, things are getting rough. So we, we got, if we don't have each other, that we don't have anything. No, every single one of the disciples of Jesus, I'm not trying to prophesy this on you. Every single one of the disciples of Jesus had their lives taken from them because they had a citizenship that they were dedicated to. All but one, and that's not because they didn't try to kill him, he just wouldn't die. That was John, and he got the privilege of writing the book of Revelation that people get to have convictions and uh, a conscience about and what they believe. Anyway, somebody got that, thank you. Um, 
So as a church, we're gonna continue to wrestle with the tension of being in the middle. We're not gonna compromise scripture. We're not gonna compromise salvation. We're not gonna compromise morality. We're not gonna compromise the word of God. We're not gonna compromise the kingdom of God. But you can still hold the line of the word of God and the kingdom of God while still being fully engaged with the broken world around us. I wanna tell you with unequivocally, our world is not getting darker and darker. If you believe that it is, then I'm gonna say prove it. Because Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and scripture tells us that when he ascended to heaven, he did so in victory. And when, he, when a king wins, a king goes back to where he came from and a king sits on his throne in victory. When Jesus ascended back to heaven, he sat on the throne at the right hand of his father in victory. And you know what he did after that? He sent his Holy Spirit, he started the church, and from that moment forward, the kingdom of God began to expand around the world. Listen, John chapter one tells us that the kingdom of God is going to expand and darkness cannot extinguish it. So do not believe for one moment that we are being overtaken by darkness. No, the kingdom of God is overtaking the world around us. <clears throat> it's just so much easier to see the darkness when it's put into a corner. So we need to love like never before. And if it can't start in the church, if we can't coexist together and disagree on things and still gather and disagree on convictions and still love each other and still be in small groups together when we don't agree on everything, if it doesn't start here, how the heck are we gonna do it out there? We need to check our hearts. We need to ask God to forgive us when we get rebellious. Scripture says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And so standing up against authority is not rebellion. When your heart's in the right place, when you're understanding the way that God establishes authority, and when we understand the lanes that God creates authority. Thank you again for joining us on the Combo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Combo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to combochurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories, and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.